there's a lot of you know research that shows that people who kind of think hard and, and make lots of predictions on these things that are updating their thoughts and processes are the kinds of people we want to be paying attention to. Um, like Philip Tetlock's of the world talk about these super forecasters. I'm not saying that all these mock drafters are super forecasters, but those are the qualities that we're looking for. Hey everybody, welcome to Unexpected Points. I am your host, Kevin Cole. We have a little bit of a bonus episode this week. This is a second interview here. A little bit on the shorter side, about half an hour, maybe a little bit more than that long. Um, I was thinking initially about putting this on the back end of the other interview I had this week with Sam Schwartzstein, which you should make sure to check out. Um, but it was a little bit too long to put them both together. So we're going to do this here, and I may put these types of episodes on the back end going forward. What this type of episode is, perhaps I should say, is with Benjamin Robinson, who is a friend of mine who also runs a data collection site slash database called Grinding the Mocks, where he collects hundreds of mock drafts from the quote-unquote draft analysts, from people who are more associated with just being media people, and then also from fans, using all three of those together with uh, formulas that he's come up with, and he'll talk about on this episode, to give proper weightings from a prediction standpoint for how good these mock drafts are going forward. So you're going to hear from Ben uh, maybe every other week going forward into the draft to discuss trends that are going on in the mock draft world, updates to his data, and then I'll continue to update different pieces that you'll see, like the consensus mock draft that I had earlier this week using the grinding the mocks data. Uh, his information here, if you need to find him, I think I have his Twitter information in the episode, but in case I don't, it's at Ben J underscore Robinson. And again, it's grinding the mocks. If you're listening to this episode and you are not a subscriber to my Substack, unexpected points, please do subscribe there. We have tons of articles and analysis there. Lots of stuff planned for the off season, including all of this different draft coverage. And then of course this podcast, which has an interview every week and then at least one interview every week, and then my weekly wrap-up at the end of the week. Okay, everybody, thanks so much for listening so far, and here we get to Benjamin Robinson. All right, Ben, thanks for joining me. Um, if you're like me, you've been watching this football, you know, playoffs, Mahomes, ankle injury, comeback, Burrow. All we really care about, though, is seeing – versions 1.0, 2.0, 3.0, sometimes 10.0 of all the different mock drafts that are coming out this season. That's where you come into play with, with Grind the Mock. So thanks for joining me to discuss everything there. Um, why don't we start with some history behind how you got into this in the first place? Because I found it as a very valuable data source for finding that sort of information when, let's face it, it's just all over the place out there for all these different people and what they're predicting what's going to happen in the NFL draft. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, thanks for having me on. Sure. The The history of grinding the mocks goes back to my friend my friend Blair's couch in the 2018 draft where I was in Pittsburgh. Or my, I went to college there. We were watching the draft and listening to people talk and kind of just kind of blurted out like, hey, you know, like, how do these people know anything anyway? Um <laughs> I like the good question generally. It wasn't like a like, oh, these guys are stupid question. It's kind of comes yeah. it came from more of like a sort of a research question. Like what how, 
we know in the social science in all kinds of spaces that the wisdom of crowds can be more accurate than any one individual. And so I said, well, does this sort of thing exist for like mock drafts? And I normally when you have an idea, you look it up and someone's already done it. Um, I hadn't found it at the time. Brian Burke had done some kind of original work for this thing he called the um, some sort of draft machine and a draft projection sort of thing where he was trying to do something sort of similar. But I didn't know that existed at the time. And so I went ahead and said, you know, if it doesn't exist, um, I want to make it. Um, I love watching the draft. Um, I'm a Bengals fan. And, you know, for the longest time, the Bengals were not super awesome. So all you had to look forward to was the draft. And so uh, I think a lot of football fans kind of are like that as well. If you root for a team, um, you often don't necessarily get to enjoy so much all the success. So the draft is something that kind of uh, kind of brings us all together as football fans. And so that's kind of where it started. And then I, I did some kind of proof of concept stuff on the 2018 draft and really liked it. Um, and uh, a big shout out to uh, Ron Yurko and Carnegie Mellon for giving me a platform to kind of take this stuff to the next level. And, you know, the rest is a little bit of history. Awesome. Awesome. Well, first, I mean, condolences then as a Bengals fan. Thank you. Um, one for the loss, two for the fact that the, the NFL is rigged against you. So that, that kind of sucks too. you know, with, you know, when you have that happening. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, fifth, I, fifth down, fifth down, fifth down. <laughs> well, they didn't convert. So that's okay. That happened once before. I remember there was a college game where someone yeah, actually scored classic. a touchdown on, on a fifth down. So that was, that was a classic. Uh, that was a classic there, but no, but to, to go further, let's talk a little bit more about process here. So you have, you, you, like you said, it's kind of the general idea, um, ideation here is you have the idea, you figure out no one's doing it. It makes sense. Someone should be doing it. You look to do it. Now, how do you get from A to Z though? Like how do you actually accomplish this? Because there are just desperate sources out there of all this different mock draft information. There's so much noise, ever expanding noise here. How, how do you tend to focus in and make sure a, you can collect everything and then B figure out how to digest it. Yeah. The first and the most valuable thing that I do is data collection. So, um, you know, when I originally started, um, I was doing a lot of manual data collection. Now I do a lot more automated data collection that I know, uh, now that I've been doing this for a while, I know where to look for the, the data that I want and consistently can scrape that stuff. Um, so it's, the first thing is the data. And so there is a lot of information out there. Um, and so to me, um, I'm interested in people that are um, engaging in a thought process who are have some priors in theory. They might call them something different. They might call them takes. Um, and then update those priors with new information and are constantly updating their predictions. And um, yeah, there's a lot of you know research that shows that people who kind of think hard and, and make lots of predictions on these things that are updating their thoughts and processes are the kinds of people we want to be paying attention to. Um, like Philip Tetlock's uh, of the world talk about these super forecasters. I'm not saying that all these mock drafters are super forecasters, but those are the qualities that we're looking for. Um, and then you can kind of pick your poison when it comes to methodology. Um, but you know we're trying to kind of take the data smooth it out and make adjustments for things that we think are important. And for me, the top two things that are really important are when the mock draft was, was published and who published it. And the mock draft um, date in terms of when it was published actually has a lot of signal because it's kind of a stand-in for the information completeness of the mock draft marketplace. Like I'm an econ major. And so, you know, when we think about this, you know, mock draft world, it doesn't, we don't have the full picture right now. Uh, free agency hasn't happened, um, so we don't necessarily know what teams are thinking about in terms of targets. 
the senior bowl, the all-star games are happening right now. They, they haven't really even begun. There'll be players who will emerge out of that. Like Christian Watson last year, you know, who was a, a pretty strong rookie year with the Packers out of North Dakota state. Um, and then the combine happens and, and there's information that comes from that as well. And then obviously the closer we get to the draft, there's leaks and teams kind of reveal their cards a little bit more. Um, and so there's things that we can learn about that even then that get picked up in that. Um, but then also we want to make sure that mock drafts are not all created equal. And so we want to kind of use history to tell us which ones we should be paying attention to. So we should be paying attention to the Daniel Jeremiah's of the world and not paying attention to some guy who has a blog. Right. And so, um, like potentially Substack, over time, yes. if uh, yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. but blog, I mean, Hey, yeah, great. I mean, I, I taught my own model to not pay attention to my mock drafts because <laughs> right. I do mock drafts for football outsiders and they stink. So, yeah. um, so even my model knows to not pay attention to my mock drafts very much. Right. Um, right. but in the bigger, in the big picture, it still plays a part and a part of like, a, the different scenarios that we have. And that's one thing that I kind of have a trouble with sometimes is there's a big echo chamber people kind of tend to like follow the leader and then don't have original thoughts. And so, you know, the, the wisdom of the crowds really works at its best when everybody has an independent process. And we know that as hard as people try, people are biased and it's really hard to generate an independent process. Yeah. Yeah. I think there's also an interesting question of like, what is the explicit goal for some people when they are doing a mock draft also? I mean, I think generally the, the accolades, whatever the, the the draft the mock draft accolades, the being known as the best is going to be accuracy. It's going to be hitting the pick and you know the the team, uh, preferably, but the the pick specifically as far as accuracy is concerned. But there are some mock drafts. I mean, being a PFF um, former PFFer, they're not even really trying to predict what they think is going to happen as more as to what they think should happen. And I'm sure there are other people who are kind of maybe one foot in each area, have such a strong player take on something, want to be ahead of the crowd necessarily on something, want to plant their flag on someone and not aren't really looking for accuracy. So can you think about that? Or is that all within the testing that you're going to figure out who those people are? Yeah, I think there's a little bit of that. Yeah. I mean, some people are kind of trying to get a rise or to kind of be able to sell something, right? Like, you know, go look at our big board, go look at this article. Oh, I have this guy really high. You should read this, this piece of content. Yeah. Um, but the thing that I think really helps is that mock draft date. Um, so I use an inverse like linear decay function. And so like right now we're like almost a hundred days from the draft. So my mock drafts are, that I'm rating that are coming in right now are getting weighted at like 0.01. And so the, the, the real heat that gets turned up is the week of the draft that's when the mock drafts start really counting a lot, a lot, a lot more. Um, and they get just, you know, bigger and bigger weights every day. And then the day of the draft, they're getting weighted like, you know, you know, in this case, a hundred times more than walk drafts that are created today. And so, you know, with that, we're able to, that when you get closer to the draft, you're more likely to be like, well, I need to make a legit prediction. And now I'm going to kind of like lay down. And that's usually what I evaluate on kind of the last mock draft that the guy had closest to the draft, the, the closest proxy that we have to someone saying this is, what I think will happen because, you know, that's what the, the end goal of the mock draft is at the very end. But we have ways to downweight those people who are inaccurate, to downweight ones that are happening now because we know there's a lot that's going to change. And then the overall smoothing process will, will make any one mock draft ideally not that important in terms of the what I call expected draft position. 
Now, I'm just kind of thinking out loud a little bit here, but I'm trying to wonder about like manually adjusting the different weights as far as that's concerned. Because you know, it's funny, you mentioned 2018, right? 2018 was one of the only times, maybe since, I don't even know, when when, when did uh, Jadavian Clowney go number one? There was another one where we kind of didn't really know who was going to be number one, even the night of. And 2018, Baker Mayfield, it was really the day of. That yes. everyone was like, this is going to be make Baker Mayfield. There are probably some high, well-known draft nicks out there who still have, you know, Sam Darnold at number he one number of their one. boards. Yeah, of their boards one. that year. So is there any sort of kind of manual adjustment in, in, in that too? Well, I guess we'll see what ends up happening this season. But this could be one of those years where we really don't know who's going to be number one also. I think the way that you do that would be to incorporate some sort of betting odds. The mock drafts they're never perfect in adjusting fast. Like when you see, like, for example, the Trey Lance trade that happened that the Niners made in 21, like it didn't, you didn't just automatically see a switch for the the Niners. It takes some time for that kind of consensus or like the ideas to spread throughout the mock draft world and and get people to think kind of, Hey, this is what we think is the, was the way to go. And even then, you know, things were kind of split between like Mac Jones. And so, yeah, I think that if you had incorporated some sort of, you know, betting odds data, that could maybe push, you know, like ideally before the draft, you would know, hey, like I can make this adjustment because the markets are saying, hey, Baker Mayfield's number one, even though my data is saying Sam Darnold's number one. Um, and ultimately, and I they ended up kind of switching places. So my my goal with running the mocks is more like more often to be close to the hole than like going for hole in one. When we get hole in one, I'm really happy. I want to be right at the top of the draft. Um, in that case, yeah, like it would be really great to have some like get some some draft odds over unders that you can kind of just imply hey like there's a really good chance that you know Baker Mayfield's going to go number 1 and and we can incorporate that as an adjustment to the expected draft position numbers yeah, no, that makes a ton of sense. I mean, I wasn't following, and I'm not even sure what how robust the the markets were back then, since it hadn't really been you know yeah. spread I'd spread to the U.S. as much at that point. But for Trey Lance, you're right. That was I don't even, I don't even know when it was. Maybe even Monday. Maybe Monday of the draft week that everything flipped, and it flipped pretty quickly, uh, going from from Jones to Lance. At the same time, you know, uh, there were people who were really in the know, like Daniel Jeremiah and Lance Zerline, who were like the tip of the creme de la creme of the mock draft world really great evaluators as well. And, you know, they had Jones at, at three. So like, even yeah. then, like, you know, you kind of like, well, damned if I do, damned if I don't. But in theory, like, yeah, like the mock drafts have come out, but sometimes late news breaks and they just doesn't get in. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think Schefter's still dying on that hill. That, that was, <laughs> that was the pick and it was going to happen. I mean, well, well, I mean, going outside of our, our core competency here, here, Woj didn't Woj completely uh no. Woj Woj had a big issue right when it, yeah. when the in the NBA draft and what happened there so yeah you, you never know what's gonna happen it's gonna be a really interesting uh to see what's gonna happen this season all right let's talk about more applications here because I think that's yep. gonna be the interesting part here I came out with this consensus mock draft where it's from your data where I'm basically just visualizing it you know throwing in a couple of words pretending like I know anything about these prospects and then putting <laughs> it out there for people to, to digest what other sorts of applications do you see for this and how have other people that you've been working with been applying it so yeah um, I think a big application of this is on the team side um, teams do this type of analysis um, you'll often see in like the kind of documentaries that teams put out around the draft that the GM will ask someone on the analytics staff to say, hey, like, what's the likelihood this player is going to be available the next time we pick? So it can help inform in draft strategy. 
Um, it can also help inform kind of in-draft preparation. So on the team side, I think there's a clear uh, application and teams have been doing this you know, for a really long time. Um, so nowadays with data science, we can kind of make it super powered and we can actually do some evidence-based stuff um, to help kind of inform, hey, like you can wait a little bit on this player, um, kind of help save the teams from making kind of egregious reaches more than kind of saying, hey, like you drafted a player 20 spots you know, earlier than he was expected to, you're bad. Like there's nuance to that sort of strategy stuff, but teams do have that as a part of their, their draft process. And it's a pretty well-established thing. Um, so I say that's a, a big use of this type of data. And you see it in not just in football, but you see it in quite a bit in basketball as well, which is probably the, like the other most robust draft, maybe the NHL as well. MLB is probably a lot harder just because there's a lot more things that are kind of going in, like the signability aspect that doesn't exist in basketball, that doesn't exist in football or, or maybe even in hockey. Um, yeah, yeah. So on the team side, there's a clear application. Um, I think on the media side, I kind of like to sometimes tell people when I try to simplify what I do that I'm kind of like a 538 for the draft, but it's like a harder problem than the elections <laughs> to a certain extent because it's a less binary Oh, choice. shots fired at Nate Silver. All right, go ahead. Give it. No, give no it. shots. Um, yeah, uh, you know, it, the, the, the draft is not really a binary choice. The, the matrix of decision of the, of possible outcomes there is pretty wide. And so, um, I find that it's a little bit of a more difficult problem. Um, but it's a similar kind of approach, you know, 538 takes these polling averages and applies adjustments and runs simulations, um, and all that kind of stuff to get their kind of projections for what they think will happen in each state accounting for all kinds of you know, correlation between outcomes and stuff. And so it's a similar kind of overall concept that you could apply to, in this case, the draft. Great, great. Yeah, you know, for once, you know, these teams are definitely using it. In fact, we've seen many of these videos during the draft where, uh, you know, a different team ends up selecting someone else and there's like the fist pumps and this yeah. like, for once I want to see like a behind the scenes where they're like hands and head, like, Oh no, they took the guy that we, that we, that the we it happened with take. the Ravens last year. Um, yeah. Yeah. The Steelers, uh, the Ravens were targeting this wide receiver from Memphis named Calvin Austin. Mm-hmm. And um, he's like a kind of uh well, you know, like the Memphis, like, types like you're going to see like comparisons to Tony Pollard, you know, well, he was a um, big Antonio combine Gibson. riser type of yeah. guy because he blew up the combine. Yeah. So Calvin Austin is like a real fast, like Memphis wide receiver that, you know, type. And he got the Steelers drafted him right before the Ravens. And I think they were like, what happened? Um, so yeah. yeah, like that does occasionally happen, but I don't think that made it into the draft video because they only focus on the players that they get. They don't like to focus yeah. on the players they didn't want. And I think that only happened after the draft. I think maybe Peter King or something like that did an article and said, yeah, the Ravens really wanted Calvin Austin. It just didn't happen. So yeah. 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 Maybe in the first yeah. round, it would be interesting. I guess it's only urban Myers, the only person who's like, <laughs> yeah, we really wanted somebody. Well, they we revealed their, to... they revealed their whole board. Remember yeah. it was like a whole thing where they're like, Oh man, like we just, we saw all their rankings and it was a, yeah, urban Myers a like, so we got uh, stuck with this guy. Uh, yeah. Travis um, yeah. Uh, yeah so, shucks. So, <laughs> maybe there's a, that's a good reason there. All right. Let's talk about uncertainty. Cause this is always going to be a big thing with me. Um, is that, you're right. It's really difficult because like the parameters, the, the, the parameters you're working with when you're talking about uh, uh, an election, you kind of know the state has this many, you know, electoral votes. This Here, it's like you don't know who's going to be drafting 
with the third pick. It could be any of 31 other teams that end up with that pick. Uh, teams could be moving up and down. Teams could be drafting three players in the first round where you thought they were they had one. All this sort of stuff can go on. So with that extra layer of uncertainty, how much do you want to, say, build in that uncertainty versus how much do you want to say, I, we all recognize that uncertainty is there. So let's instead frame it as if it's more certain um, because otherwise it gets kind of muddled when you're trying to figure out, okay, what's, what's the uncertainty we're building in versus what are we trying to predict based upon the mock drafts and others, which just can't, can't open up all that Pandora's box of possibilities and really figure things out. Yeah. It's a real tough problem. Like, cause the, 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 the state of the world just can constantly change. And sometimes it has a big effect and sometimes it has like very little effect at all to a certain extent. Um, but yeah, like for example, I, I, the Mac Jones one is kind of a perfect example. A Trey Lance, Mac Jones. So once um, you know Trey Lance gets selected at three by the Niners instead of Mac Jones, the the distribution of like possible outcomes for Mac Jones should change, right? Um, just mm-hmm. like you know on election night when you see these outcomes coming in in Florida, you know that potentially that has some relation to outcomes in Ohio, and it should change the way you think about what the potential distribution of outcomes is yeah um and so yeah i think that's the right way to think about it but like i said sometimes those those things have more impact or less impact than others and the main thing that i've come at this from and um i think that sometimes we think those things have more power than they do um you know i think in a certain extent like in the first round if a trade happens that can be something that's like a state changer um but sometimes, you know, for example, like in the, I think this was the 2018 draft as well. The Saints traded up to draft Marcus Davenport, the edge rusher from UTSA. And um, I ended up getting that pick exactly right. And so it wasn't that because the the mock draft world was expecting, you know, Marcus Davenport to get drafted by the Saints at, by a trade up. It's because they thought that the, he had that level of talent and that drafting him in that area would warrant that. So like, it's interesting. I feel like I can come up with as many good examples of sometimes where that change is important and it's made a difference. And sometimes that change happens and I think it doesn't make a difference. And so, you know, the other kind of big draft model is like the ESPN draft predictor model that Brian Burke and the team have designed at ESPN. And one of the things that I think has, it's kind of a hole in it is that I think it ends up being too specific about you know, this team has this needs and then they're going to move here. And then like that, it has, it adds this level of determinism that I think ends up making the model overconfident in the, in the predictions that it makes. So I'd rather in some ways be agnostic and, you know, um, I have like an advanced model. The model that I share publicly is a more kind of basic model and the advanced model has, you know, weekly informed priors. And I think that's kind of like the way I think about it. But ideally, you, I would love to be, you know, updating this stuff live on a simulation basis through the draft and creating some sort of mechanism of saying, of incorporating that change of, you know, hey, like the draft uh, state has changed because we know now in this case, we have this information that the, 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 likely, the outcome we thought was most likely, even if it's maybe a small probability of happening, has not happened and we should change our idea about the state of the world because of that. Yeah. Yeah. And then all the, like all the mock drafts you're getting, they're not be yeah. updating what, whatever is nope. going to run. And they're all playing by different rules too. We talked about some people are more aggressive for predicting trades and those are like, 
those are complete dart throws when yeah. you're trying to predict in, in advance most people who predict trades for happen. that reason. Yeah, most people yeah. don't for that reason because it also forces you it forces you to think to kind of well, number one, it also opens you up to ridicule. <laughs> um, <laughs> and so it's really I think it's really hard to predict when trades are gonna happen. And so you kind of just like stick with your board and you kind of like live or die in that way. Um, yeah. And so you get like, if you get a little luck, you, you know, sometimes you might overthink things and sometimes you might underthink things. So, you know, like before you probably just don't think about it at all and just, um, but you you see this a little bit in the, in the mock drafts that are coming out right now, like on the consensus stuff that, you know, we were working on, you see, you know, Will Anderson being number one, but you also see him have like a pretty decent, you know, shot at number three. Right. So number one being the bears right now, if the bears stick with them, then Will Anderson makes a ton of sense. Um, but the Texans are really quarterback needy. So, you know, he doesn't really have as much of a fit people think in Houston, but they think that he has a really strong fit in Arizona. And so um, there, when you see that, that, you know, you mean that some people are seeing and projecting some, some amount of trades in their recent mock drafts, but it's not enough. And people aren't being, uh, don't want to think about that trade until it's happened. And then they'll yeah. think about it and they'll change the way we think about the top five picks in the draft. But until then people are comfortable thinking in the current state and thinking in the box instead of outside it. I mean, it makes sense. And for the number one pick, you know, we should hear about that well in advance. If there is a trade, because there's no benefit to uh, waiting to, you know, you're going to get whoever you want in, in with, with the first pick. So it's not something that teams would want to wait to get more information as to how the draft unfolds before making that pick. All right. So we're going to have you on again more in the future to talk about what's going on here. But just initially, quickly, is there anything out of the out of the ordinary with what's going on this year, even in as far as the data is concerned, the amount of data out there, how people are looking at it, is there, is there anything that you would want to talk about for this class just briefly? And then again, like I said, we'll, we'll have you on every couple of weeks as we get to closer and closer to the draft and all this stuff starts to solidify. Yeah, I think people are going to be really interested in these quarterbacks. I think it's pretty clear that there's going to be at least three in the first round, um, maybe four with Anthony Richardson from Florida. Um so I think that's going to be a lot of people talk. Um, you're going to hear a lot of talk this year about this running back from Texas, Bijan Robinson, um, who people generational talent. I assume people view as kind of like a Saquon sort of type, where they think he's a top ten player in the draft, but running back is such a devalued position. Um, then how does that impact what team is kind of going to be willing to put their foot out to to draft him? Um, and you know, I think in our work that we have right now, we see that the Tampa Bay Bucks seem like a, t- a team that people think are might be interested in in him as a player. Um, so yeah, I think that's a really interesting thing. And then I think a, a strength of this class, um, you're going to hear a lot over the, the course of the draft is defensive back in the first round. I think we have like something like six DBs in the first round right now in terms of this consensus um, exercise. Um, and so there's, a, I think a really heavy uh, position is def- defensive back. If you need help at DB, this is, I think a good class to be in. Um, offensive line and skill position, the tight end position might be the, the, the kind of most depth, deep skill position in this draft wide receiver. I'm hearing kind of a lot of different things about this receiver class, not being as top heavy as it's been in some previous years. So yeah, quarterback's always going to be something people are interested in. Yeah. I think at, at the end of the day, the, the running back, these cornerbacks, um, and at the top of the draft you're going to hear a lot about you know, who is the best non-quarterback? Is it Will Anderson, the edge rusher from Alabama, or is it Jalen Carter, the defensive tackle from Georgia? Both, you know, really awesome prospects from really awesome programs that have very few questions about them. 
Yeah, yeah. This is going to be interesting to watch it all unfold. Interesting, I think, every year to see how this positional value argument starts to play out. A tale as old as time. <laughs> a lot. I mean, even last year, I'm trying to think of who it was. I guess Kyle Hamilton was probably a guy that there were some questions about. And, and um, Linderbaum, both guys who got uh, Tyler Linderbaum for the Ravens. That was the thing about the Ravens draft last year. Highly yeah. rated players. Uh, who were you know rated a lot higher on big boards than they were in mock drafts. Yeah, yeah. At this time last year, uh, nobody would have expected Hamilton to be going yeah. at, where did he go, 13, 14, 14. something like 14, yeah. yeah. Like that That would not have been a thing. That would have been, watch the tape, nerds. Uh, <laughs> he's not going that. He's not going that. Yeah. I gave a hard time to Mike Redder, PFS Mike Redder, because he did that in one of these things. He's like, oh, these positional value arguments, my retort is, well, he's a homer. He's a homer. Like, oh, that's true. I forgot. He is. He is like a golden domer that will not stop. Uh, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a pit homer. Yeah. Um, okay. So, you know, last year I was trying to defend the honor of Kenny Pickett sometimes. And, uh, you know, I understand. I understand. But uh, well, my, at least he went in the first round. At least he went in the first round. I like the rest of these guys. It's true. It's true. It's true. It's true. Okay. So, Ben. Again, this is out on the site. The The article will continue to put more stuff in, and more applications of this. Follow Benjamin Robinson. Follow him on Twitter at BenJ underscore Robinson. Uh, grinding the mocks. You'll find information and links there. Like you said, there's a, more, a little bit more limited data set than what you had the year, year before, but plenty of stuff on there for everyone to dig through and to get into there. Anything else? Anything else you want to plug right now? And, of course, like I said, we're going to have you back in a couple of weeks. Um. Not too much. Um, I'm going to continue to write for Football Outsiders this year, so I'll be doing kind of mock drafts and some kind of stock up stuff, stock down stuff like I've done in, in previous years. And um, my, my first mock draft, which is like I said before, is historically not very accurate anyway, um, will be out on Football Outsiders after the Super Bowl. Excellent, excellent. Okay, everybody, go follow Ben and uh, my fellow DMV guy here out in the uh, Washington, D.C. area. So i got to represent there, too. And I just want to thank everyone for tuning in to this episode. Uh, we'll come at you with another interview next week and then, of course, a wrap-up pod on Friday. Until then, I'll be talking to everyone later. Thanks so much.